welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. Psalm 21 takes us to a place of worship and thankfulness once again. But first, how was your week? So last week was kind of a, a roller coaster for me. It went from like a discouragement to a blessing in just a matter of days. The issue was that I was discouraged by an event, but in that event, God's plan was not defeated. And when he brought blessing in the wake of my discouragement, it just made that blessing so much more sweeter. We make these plans and we fill our hearts with these desires, but sometimes they're not God's plan for us. Uh, Fortunately, this week when he shut the door, he also removed the desire for that thing at the same time, which they were both an answer to prayer. And that made me all, all the more excited for what he had planned next, even though I didn't know what it was at the time. And then the blessing that he brought just a few days later was just immediate joy in my life and peace. I had petitioned God for his will and not for a specific outcome. So that allowed me to not feel defeated, even though I was discouraged, when what I wanted didn't happen and to immediately let go of it and thank God for showing me that, hey, that that wasn't his will. As I reflect on that as I'm sitting here today, um, it just reminds me that our God is so good to us. As we'll see in this psalm, sometimes he keeps us from things, and sometimes he blesses us in ways that we weren't expecting, and we just we definitely don't deserve it. As we meet David here in Psalm 21, it's a follow-up to Psalm 20. Psalm 20 was an intercessory prayer, that he wrote for the people to make on his behalf. And then Psalm 21 is a prayer of praise also written for the people to make on David's behalf. And it's just thanking our Lord for answering their petition and for answering David's petition. God answers prayers. No matter what the answer is, we should rejoice in it because in the answer, he reveals his will to us. Let's see what the Lord has for us here in Psalm 21, beginning in verse 1. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips, Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness, thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him even the length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thy anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device, which they were not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So 
will we sing and praise thy power. Man, I do love a good praise psalm. Uh, it's almost too coincidental how the last two weeks have lined up with my life. And since I don't believe in coincidence, it's definitely been providence. Uh, the week before when we were in Psalm 20 and speaking of intercession, I was literally asking people to pray with me about something. And then this week, as we look at Psalm 21 and see the thankfulness for the answer of prayer, it, hit, it hits home once again. Just like I asked for prayer when God blessed my family and I, I shot out texts to the people I had asked to pray with me about how God had blessed me and praising God and just letting them know. I was, I was overcome with joy in his provision, and I wanted to be sure I shared it with people. And that also got me to thinking a little bit, are, are we guilty of leaving that out sometimes? When we ask someone or a group or a church, our church family to pray with us about something, do we share with them when God answers the prayer? Not the answer I was hoping for, but God revealed his will to me, and I'm thankful and joyful for that. We were praying for God's will, and he revealed it. What a blessing it is to know that his will is far above ours. Or because everyone was praying with an open heart and just for God's will to be done, I got to tell y'all, he blessed beyond my imagination, and I just wanted to share with everyone how good our God is. Do we do that enough? Do we say those things enough? Or do we in our flesh sometimes gravitate to the negativity of an answer we weren't expecting or the answer of no? In this case, in this psalm, God had answered their petition, their intercession on David's behalf, better than they had expected. They were just letting God know, you're so good, the king finds joy in your strength. And maybe that's why sometimes we don't get the answer we want when we ask for a very specific thing. Maybe God knows it'll be a weakness for us or cause us to compromise something in our lives. Either way, we have to realize that in every answer, his strength is made known. Either that we need to lean on his strength because the answer to our prayer was difficult or to see his strength when he answers beyond our wildest dream. His strength is made known regardless of the answer. And that's really where we can find and should find our joy. God, I wasn't expecting that you would take this difficult, or God, I was expecting that you would take this difficult thing out of my life. And God responds with, no, I want you to continue to rely on me for strength in this area. That's why I didn't take it out of your life. Or maybe we say, God, I was expecting a different outcome. And God says, I need you to lean on my strength. The other outcome would have had you operating under your own strength, and you would have failed eventually because of it. Trust in my strength. Or maybe we were able to say, Lord, that was just awesome how you worked that out. Thank you for the way you work. And the Lord says, when you rely on my strength, you make it easy to see how I work on your behalf. And isn't it true that relying on his strength and finding joy, no matter the answer, makes us rejoice? Like his strength, no matter what answer he gives, he is bathing us in his salvation. 
either salvation from a future circumstance, maybe salvation from a bad situation, or it could be salvation from ourselves and our own thoughts of defeat and despair sometimes. We can rejoice in his salvation regardless of the outcome because he's not saved us to work in our own interests, but to his work. We could say, Lord, I don't know why you answered my prayer the way you did, but I believe that you're working out your plan for me. Thank you for saving me from whatever thing you're ensuring that I never have to deal with in the answer that you gave. Or, Lord, thank you for removing this temptation from my life in the way you answered my prayer and revealing to me that what you're doing is saving me from the temptation of self-reliance and pride. God, you're just so good to your children. Do we thank him and praise him for every answer to our prayers? Do we thank him and praise him publicly for every answer to our prayers? Even when it wasn't the answer that we had in mind. And do we do it even when a life hangs in the balance? It's difficult, but when we pray for the health or healing of a loved one and the answer we get as the ailment unfolds is simply that it's time for us to lean on God and to lean on his strength in a loss. In those instances, do we thank him for his tender mercies to help us through that time? Because it is difficult. And it is heartbreaking. But joy in the going home of a loved one who knew the Savior is joy for them and should be rejoicing for us. Or maybe we get in a situation where we say it's hard to be thankful because the Lord hasn't given me my heart's desire. It says here in the Psalm that he gave David his heart's desire. Well, where do our desires lie? Because I find when my desires are for things that please me or make me feel better about myself, I throw a grown man fit sometimes when they don't come to fruition. You may, you may ask, well, Tom, what's a grown man fit? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, for me, a grown man fit is when I don't verbally say something is wrong or that it didn't go my way. But I'm so on edge and disappointed because of it that I start focusing on how everyone around me is failing my expectations too. How they're not fulfilling my desire for what I expect of them. And this leads me to be very short-tempered with people around me. And it's pure selfishness. And my wife, Crystal, can attest to how miserable I am when that happens in my life. And as our pastor likes to say, I'm just broken like everyone else. And that is true. When I focus on my desires and whether or not they're coming true, I lose sight of giving God glory in my life and the joy just gets kind of sucked right out of me. But you know what happens when I align my desires with what God's desires are for me? When I worship him in my work, in my relationships, and try to give him glory in every interaction, every task I undertake, to align for, with his desires for my life when I pray, because it's the strangest thing, I find 
that he is happy and so full of blessings to answer my prayers with the desires of my heart because my heart is aligned with the desires of his heart. And then suddenly there is no frustration. There is no disappointment. I'm not exasperated or short-tempered. He hasn't withheld the request of my lips because my lips only asked for what he wants to give to me. His strength, his joy, his salvation, his help, and his blessing. And David inserts a silah here. That means that in song, they may have to go back to verse 1 and sing through verse 2 a second time or a third, or to pause and consider what they had just sung. And maybe we would do well to do the same. Because how easy it is to read of his strength and blessing and how his salvation makes us rejoice when all of the answers to our prayers are going the way we wanted. But how much do we need to be reminded to act and feel the exact same way when they don't? When what we wanted needs to be examined in the light of his word, his will, and his desires for us. We should pause in the Salah and reflect on his provision to deliver us and to keep us from both external and internal enemies. And verse 3 may seem a a bit confusing in the Old English because it kind of makes it sound like he prevents us with blessings of goodness. Oh, no. The Hebrew word here carries the meaning that he goes before us with blessings of goodness. He gets ahead of everything in our lives and prepares blessings for us. And isn't that just like God to get out ahead of us and set up these blessings that we'll have access to if we just follow his will? It's like if we go the right way, we follow his will, we align with his desires, and then look, there, around the corner, it, it's a blessing. God's goodness was right there in front of us. Or we're just walking along and whoops, look, there's another one. More goodness from God just waiting here on the path for me. He's laid out all of this goodness for us. And it's just like he told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He also says in the passage that his end, his plan, is that in verse 12, 13, and 14, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. Because in Jeremiah, God wasn't blessing the nation. It was headed for destruction. The whole message of Jeremiah is you are going to be destroyed from a societal perspective. Your whole country is going to be ripped apart. But he told them that on the other side of that, he had goodness in store for them when they got to a place where they were ready to call upon him earnestly, when they were ready to seek his will, when they were ready to search for him with their hearts. Then he said he would be found of them. Then he would reveal the goodness he had for them. 
Then he would set a crown of gold upon their head. In this psalm, that's a metaphor for prosperity. When we ask for the Lord's help to do his will in Psalm 20, he'll give us the good things he has in store for us and prosper us in his might. His blessings will be poured out in a way that they could only be from him. And the life we ask for in his will and for his glory, why would he not give that to us? We've used this verse before, but it's so sweet that he wants us to have life more abundantly. He has the best life we can dream of to give us. And if our life is messed up and we aren't seeing his plan in it, or we're not seeing his goodness laid out before us or stumbling over his goodness around every corner, maybe we should take note of the path that we're on. Is it dimly lit with a lot of stones to stumble over? Are there thickets and hurdles blocking our way? Is it even the right path? Because he said he would be a lamp unto our feet, that the way is straight and narrow, but it's full of goodness. And he gives life eternal. The length of days promised forever and ever aren't earthly days. And why would, why would we want them to be earthly days? To live in this flesh and be subject to those things about ourselves that we can't escape, like our sin nature, our selfish pride, our proclivity to glory only in ourselves and the things that we can do, or growing old, losing the use of our faculties, uh, losing our mobility. Because regardless of what age we live to, our body would continue to wind down. And really, who would want to continue living in that state for eternity, just continually winding down? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And oh, what a glorious day when I can jump without worrying about whether or not my knee's going to give out. When I can get right up from laying down underneath a tree without having to slowly pull myself up on the tree. Or to not need sleep. That is a life that I would want to live forever and ever without those things. I'd want, I'd want no part of life here on this earth for eternity. Give me that perfect body in the new heaven and new earth forever and ever. And there, what joy it'll be to glory in our salvation provided us remembering how marvelously our God has redeemed us from that broken world. To stand before God and know that it's in him that we find honor when we honor him. That he glories in us glorifying him. That he delights in being delighted in. To sit at his feet and be in his presence, never again to worry about whether or not our desires are aligned with his. And no more worry about breaking fellowship with him. Because he's placed all of that behind us and eternally to rest. And in that place, our eternal home, will we not be most blessed forever when he looks on us with his countenance? 
to be in his presence and be exceeding glad all the time? And won't that change our countenance, like our demeanor, our attitudes? I mean, have we ever stopped and begun to imagine what it'll be like to be in his presence and to just be able to look on his face all the time? We get in a habit sometimes, I think, of comparing our like favorite earthly things to how things are going to be in heaven or how we would want to have those things be in heaven. Like a coffee. I've, I've actually got a cup of coffee here in front of me right now. I'm going to take a sip real quick. I like to imagine that coffee will be readily available and always hot and the best tasting coffee in the world for us to have any time in heaven. Or I also like to imagine that uh, they will have jelly belly jelly beans by the handful and I'll be able to eat them and not have to worry about how much work I'm going to have to do to burn off all those carbs. Be honest with yourself and be honest with me. Don't we think things like that? Because we think that that's what it's like to be in heaven and to be constantly in God's presence. Those are the things that we feel would, would, would make us glad. That's how we can imagine it in our, in our finite minds. What we forget is that heaven is not going to be about us. Don't get me wrong. There are going to be things in heaven for us. But those things for us are just going to be another thing that we can glorify God for. Heaven is going, is going to be us glorifying God the way that we were meant to, with every action, with every task, with every appreciation for the things that he's provided for us, with every word, with every breath, glorifying God, eternally thankful. The first 10,000 years will just be the beginning because being able to look on his countenance will ever be exceeding glad because we'll always be in his visible, tangible presence. And if just knowing that we get to experience that isn't a reason for us to trust in the Lord, I, I, I don't know what is. And in trusting in him by his mercy, we cannot be moved. We will prevail. We will overcome in his power. Not by our strength, because I, I, I am, we are, we're, we're so weak. But in him, we're made immovable. Only when we rely on our own strength can we be moved. And then also when we rely on him, our enemies are his enemies and they better watch out because he'll find all of the ways they want to tempt us. He'll find all of the people the devil wants to use to mess with our desires, to try and weaken our resolve. 
He'll be ready even when we are not to make war against those that hate us and him. Because when they hate us, Christian, they're hating him in us. It, it really doesn't have anything to do with you and I. And in light of that, his wrath, because God is the only one who can righteously and correctly feel wrath, will consume them like a fire. Does everybody, does everybody remember the verse that, that says we should be kind to our enemies and in doing so it'll be like heaping coals of fire on their head? That's how God gets his vengeance. We, we don't need to lash out on his behalf. If we just show Christ to those that hate what we are because of what we believe and who lives in us, that love in itself will be a conviction and a punishment that we could never effectuate. And if they never feel the guilt of their hate in this life, they will feel it in eternity. They can bear no good fruit without the one that they hate. And when we're praising God in eternity, they'll be burning for eternity because of their hate for the one who loved them so much that he died for them. Yet they refused his free gift. And the generations of the wicked will be destroyed in the end. Utterly removed from the earth. They could have reigned with him in eternity and worshiped him eternally. And instead they harbored hate for them in their hearts, for him in their hearts, and they passed on from generation to generation that hate until those that loved and served the God who loved them first were but a remnant until the same God that had shown them mercy and giving them an opportunity to come to him and giving them more time to turn to him will decide it's time to show mercy to his people and take them out of this sin-cursed world and take them home to be with him. Doesn't the world intend evil things for our God today? As they try to blot him out of history, remove him from society... They, they want to ask, well, where is God if he cares? Yet figuratively, they've pushed him out of their society and removed all of his influence from their lives. Do, do they not intend evil for our Lord? And they imagine that they can live without him. They imagine that they can love and rejoice without him. Yet they spend a life and establish and try to redefine the concepts of love and joy, the mischievous devices they try to use to corrupt what God has ordained and made very good. And yet for all their trying, they, they just can't seem to get it right. Enough is never enough. The newest definition is just never complete enough. Why are they so unfulfilled? Why is the peace they seek to find in all of their searching so elusive? And why do we not share it all the more? Standing in the face of a God who has made ready his arrows, they turn their backs to him to flee 
and they should, if in their hearts their desire is to do nothing but hate their creator. And they should, if they want to hold on to their idols, they should definitely flee before the judgment of an almighty God. Because God will be exalted regardless of their hate, regardless of their rejection of his love, of his truth. We know that they are all without excuse, but have we also provided them some kind of excuse? While it's true that God will pour out his wrath on those that hate and reject him, I can't help but see a challenge here for us to take the truths of verses 1 through 7 when we were in full praise mode and preach that to a world so in need of godly desires. A world so in need of perfect peace. A world in need of the salvation we know but seem to take for granted all too often. A people in a culture who only feels weak and tries to define itself in its own strength when we know of the strength of our Father. But are we sharing it enough? Do we let the world know? Well, let's... Okay, not the world. Let's make this really personal. Do we let our unsaved friends know that the reason we seem to get our heart's desires are because of how we've aligned our desires with the heart of the one who saved us? Do we tell our unsaved family members that the goodness they see in our lives are because of a God who wants nothing but good for us? And then here's the hard stuff. Do we share with them our joy when our prayers are not answered the way we thought they would because we know that God has something better, something good for us that he'll get the glory from? Do they know that when we feel like God has given us a resounding no, that we still praise him for his protection and blessing and keeping us from something we couldn't see would possibly be detrimental in our lives? Or do they know that we thank him before we even know that he has something better planned for us? Do we exalt him and praise him only when he answers our petitions as we desired or expected? Do they only see that in us when the answer is agreeable to us? Or do they hear from our lips no matter the situation, Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. Because a God we can glory in no matter what he has for us is a God that is the Lord of our lives. Instead of him submitting to our will, we should always be submitting to his will and glorifying him in it. So will we sing thy praise and thy power. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul. Rejoice, 
Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.